If you've got your Bibles with you and you want to follow along, um, we're going to be in beginning in Job chapter 1, verse 20, and we're going to work our way up to Job chapter 2, verse 10. Job 1, 20 through 2, 10. Uh, next week, we'll, we'll go through the end of chapter 3, and the next week, we'll probably cover about 25 chapters in one lesson. So, so we're going to go pretty, once we get past next week, we'll, this will go pretty, pretty quickly. Um, Job 1, 20 through 2, 10. The title of our lesson this morning is Job's Faith. Let's begin in verse uh, 20. It says, Then Job arose, <clears throat> and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground in worship. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with Wrong. Now, I said last week, I want to spend a little time on these um, uh, three verses. And I want to look at four things that Job does. The first thing he does is he mourns appropriately. Okay, he mourns appropriately. Now, Satan, of course, has anticipated, he figures, okay, I'm going to bring all this stuff against Job, and his fate's going to fall apart, and he's going to turn against God, and, and he's going to curse God. And and Job, of course, is deeply grieved. He's lost all his wealth. He's lost all of his children. Uh, and so we would expect him that, to experience deep grief. That would be, that would be natural. And, and the way he expresses this is it says he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Now, these we don't understand that today. We, nobody does that today. But in ancient times, these were both normal ways of expressing your Grief. In fact, we see this in, in all throughout the Bible. We see it in Genesis. We see it in Joshua. I think there's scriptures in Isaiah and in Micah. All throughout the Bible, that this is a way of expressing grief. And listen, there's nothing wrong with mourning. Don't let anybody tell you that as a, you know, somebody dies and we're supposed to have all this joy and all this kind of stuff. Listen, we're not robots. We're human beings. We, when we experience loss, it is perfectly proper for us to grieve and mourn. Even Jesus at the tomb of, of Lazarus, he cried, right? Which is always an amazing thing because he knows in five minutes he's going to raise him from the dead. But he, but he feels empathy with the family. Even he cries. So there's nothing wrong with mourning. But when we mourn, we are to mourn appropriately. Now let me tell you what I mean. Job did not mourn as the pagans did. You see, in that day, it was almost a universal thing in pagan and heathen cultures, that when someone died, they would cut themselves and gash themselves and tattoo themselves uh, for the dead. Uh, R. Jamison, in his commentary, said that this was an offering to the deities who presided over death in the grave. So anytime somebody died as an offering, a blood offering, to the deities over, over the death in the grave, you would cut yourself, you would gash. This was almost universal in those pagan uh, cultures. And later on, by the way, when, when Moses comes along and he writes the Mosaic Law, this would be forbidden. Le Leviticus 19.28, you shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Those were all things that had to do with worshiping false god or false deities. God said, don't do those kind of things. So later on, it would be put into law, but Job didn't have that law. And in fact, Job didn't need that law. He didn't need somebody to write down those things and tell him it was wrong, to know it, it was wrong. So his, his first reaction is to mourn. There's nothing wrong with that, but he does it appropriately. It, it does, he doesn't do it like the world does it, like the culture does it. He does it the right 
way. Now, the next thing he does is, is what really tells us something about the hymn, and that is he worships faithfully. It says in that same verse where he, where he mourned, he, he, he uh, tore his robe and shaved his head, it tells us he fell on the ground and worshiped. Now, this is why I think this is so important for us to see. Later on in this book, we've got a long way to go, a lot of chapters, and Job is going to fight an absolutely epic spiritual battle. We're going to talk next week. The, the battle, for whether you understand this or not, the battle is in the mind. The battle against Satan is right here. And Job, for some 39, 38, 39 chapters, is going to fight an epic spiritual battle in his mind. And at times, he's going to seem to move far away from this first verse, or these first verses. He's going to, he's going to say some things. He's going, to, he's going to kind of start feeling sorry for himself, and all these things are going to come out. I wish I was dead, all this kind of stuff. And, and by the way, I hope we can understand that. I hope we don't hold Job to a, a, a different measurement than we ourselves. Listen, anybody who's ever been through something, a crisis, adversity, knows there are ups and downs. Just, that's just natural, right? You, you're not always on a spiritual high, and you're always not in the depths of depression. You go up and down. There are good days, and there are, there are bad days. There's days where you feel like, man, I, I just trust God, and there's next day you feel like, man, I'm, I, just, I got nothing. So that is perfectly natural. And that's why I love this book, because it's so real. It's not a false story. It, you really see what people go through. Job just puts it to, to voice. So he's going to have periods of great faith, and he's going to have periods of great doubt. Yet I think it's important to remember that a person's first reaction is always telling. What somebody, their first reaction in a crisis, I think reveals what's really down deep inside of them. And Job's first reaction is to worship God. That's his first inclination. That's the first thing on his mind. Now listen, he doesn't know what we know. He doesn't know why all these things are, are happening to him. Yet he never sees it as a reason to turn from God. In fact, it's just the opposite. He sees it as a reason to turn to God. Listen, too often when people are suffering... They, they feel so bad on the inside that they just don't think they can worship God. They don't, they don't, there's not even a desire to worship God. As I was writing this down, I remembered back years ago when after our daughter died and we went back to church. Now, if any of you have ever been through this, the first time you come back to church after you've experienced a great loss, you're sitting there and everybody's singing these songs. And they're all clapping and they're all praising and lifting their hands and, and you're thinking... I'm in the wrong place. I, I, I don't feel... How do you sing all... How do you, you can't put on an act. You just can't do it. I mean, it, I can completely uh, understand this. But in fact, that is the time that worship is most needed. When you don't feel like it, when you just don't feel any desire to do it, that is when you need it the most. And in fact, in those times, instead of neglecting worship or abandoning worship... We should be turning to worship as a source of strength that we so need. And that's really what Job did. He, the Bible tells us this, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Put on the garment of praise for the very time that that spirit of heaviness, that is when we are to worship. And that's exactly what Job did. So he mourns appropriately. He worships faithfully. And the next thing he does, he values correctly. 
He said this, Naked I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here's what we find out about Job. His faith is not mercenary. And, and we all know what the word mercenary, a mercenary soldier is, is a soldier that's bought and paid for. They, they don't fight for a country out of loyalty or patriotism or duty. They fight because it's a job. They're getting paid for it. Well, Job's faith is not mercenary. It is not bought and, and paid for. Let me tell you, this is why Job's worship is so pure. Okay? Listen, should, we all are blessed by God in various ways. And we all should be thankful. The Bible tells us over and over again to be, to be thankful. But Job's blessings are gone. He has, right now, he has absolutely nothing that he can thank God for. It's over. It's gone. And yet he worships God. That's why his worship is so pure. Because at this point, he's worshiping God not because of his blessings, not because he's thankful. He's worshiping God just because of who God is. And that is pure worship. And that is why this is so pleasing uh, to God. In fact, his last words in this chapter are, Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is the exact opposite of what Satan wanted him to do. Satan said he'll curse you, and instead he blesses him. The, the 180 degrees, exact opposite of what uh, Satan wanted him to do. So he mourns, he worships, he values, and of course he stands. I want to start reading in verse uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Again, there's a day when the Son of God, sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. Now, when you get to this chapter, it's basically there's another day in heaven. Satan comes. God says, where you been? It's basically the same pattern, the same uh, language that was used in chapter 1. And once again, you remember our example of the jeweler where I said, if somebody broke into your jewelry shop, do you point out the diamond in the window? Hey, you know, don't miss that diamond in the window. God does exactly the same thing again. Verse 3, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you seen Job? Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Same thing he said earlier, but now he adds something. He still holds fast to his integrity. I don't know how many of y'all follow Christian news. Just recently, two high-profile Christians apostatized. One of them was a guy by the name of Joshua Harris. If you go back to 1997... He wrote a book called Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. Anybody all remember all the purity movement back in the late 90s? That was Joshua Harris. He started all that, wrote these books about the purity, and big speaker, went all over the country, wrote several books. Well, he just recently divorced his wife and stated, I am no longer a Christian. Um, he's saying all that stuff he believed was all wrong. He's apologizing to the, to the gay community and, and participating in gay parades. I mean, he is just gone 180 degrees the other way. The other was a guy by the, by the name of Marty Sampson who is a songwriter for Hillsong United. He probably wrote some songs we may or may not sing. He just recently said, I am losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Okay, So two high-profile Christians apostatized. Now, let me, let me tell you something, and the reason I bring this up. If your faith ain't real, it's just a matter of time before you walk away. It's too hard to pretend. that You can't pretend this life. You just can't do it. It's just, it's just too, 
it's too much. It's too stressful. If you go back and read some of the interviews with these guys, they'll say, I feel like I'm finally free. Well, sure they do. <laughs> They've been carrying rules and burdens and stuff for years and years to try to, and putting on masks to try to pretend that's something that they're at. They're not. They're not a Christian. They're not born again. They're not regenerated. They don't have the mind of Christ. And after a while, it just becomes too much. You just can't pretend. Fake faith or, or false faith, eventually you'll, you'll come, it'll come out because you just can't pretend too long. John 9, 1 John 2.19 says this. Some people say, well, how can they do that? Well, the Bible tells us they went out from us. In other words, they left us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. John says people leave because they're not, they're not like us. In other words, what he's talking about is down deep inside, they are not regenerated. They've not been born again. And they leave because they can't, you just can't pretend. It's too, it's too hard to do. But you see, Job stands fast. And that really shouldn't surprise us because real faith always endures. It doesn't matter what comes against you. Real faith always in, endures. Real faith always stands the test. Now, I want to stop right here, and I want to talk for a minute about Job's faith in particular. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, and we just finished up our, um, our study in Genesis. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden... Between the Garden of Eden and the Law of Moses, okay, there's all these people that come through, and there were people that in that era that was accepted by God. Now, if you go read Hebrews 11, several of them are, are listed. Men like Enoch, men like Abel, uh, men like Noah, okay? They, they, they existed before there was any Bible, anything written down any laws to follow, any, any, any explanations of who God is or anything like that, they existed in those. Abraham was one of these. So there were men and women that were accepted in these times. And I want you to look at the, the example of Noah. This is in Hebrews eleven seven, And I want you to listen to what it says, talking about one of these men that lived long ago. It says, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world, and he became an heir, now listen, of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay? Now what you've got to understand about Noah's righteousness is it didn't come from works. It wasn't just because he built an ark. That was, a, that was an, a, a, an action that showed that his faith inside was real. And so the Bible, if I go back to it, says he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now by the way, don't miss what this is saying. That's saying Noah is saved. Noah is justified, but not by his works, by faith, okay? And that would be true of all those that are listed in Hebrews 11. Now, here's my question. Faith in what? They had some kind of faith, but, but faith in what? And your first answer might be, well, faith in God. But it can't be just God. The Bible tells us in James 19, even the demons believe in God. That's not enough. It's not about just believing in God. There's a lot of people out there that say, I believe in God. That's not enough. Faith, has to, faith the righteousness that comes by faith, it has to be something different than, than that. Listen to Romans 3, 21 to 22, and it tells us, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law. Again, this is what these men had, right? Because they didn't have the law. So what, where did this righteousness come from? 
He says, now it's revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in what? Jesus Christ. See, it's not, it's not enough to say, I believe in God. You've got to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've got to believe that he died on a cross for my sins, and I'm not good enough, and I put my faith in that. That's the righteousness of God apart from the law. Now, in fact, if you, if you go back and read Hebrews 11, I won't read this whole scripture, but when, when the writer of Hebrews talks about Moses, he's talking about Moses, by the way, before the burning bush, before he goes up on the mountain and gets the Ten Commandments, before any of that, when he was still back in Egypt, it says this, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Listen to this. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now, you see what he's saying? He's saying Moses is literally looking into the future. He's literally saying, I choose Christ. I put my faith in Christ. Now, by the way, Moses at that time didn't know anything about Jesus. They didn't know anything about the cross. Noah didn't know that. Nobody just... God didn't say, hey, I'm going to bring my son. His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to die on a cross. They didn't do any of that. But what they did believe was that a Redeemer was coming. They didn't know who it was. They didn't know how it was going to happen. But they, they believed that one day God would bring a Redeemer. In John eight fifty six, Jesus said this about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Somehow Abraham looked forward way into the future and said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but one day... He's going to bring a Redeemer. He's going to make it all right. And he put his faith in that. And the Bible says that God accounted that to him for, for righteousness. Every person in the Old Testament who was saved, who was accepted by God, is accepted in the exact same way we are, and that is through faith. Galatians 3.11, It is evident that no one is justified by God before the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And by the way, Paul is quoting Habakkuk 2.4, which is in the Old Testament. The Old Testament all said, you're saved by faith. You're not saved by obeying rules. Okay? Listen, the reason I bring all this up, because I want you to understand, Job is no different. Job is a saved man, a justified man. He's accepted by God. And to do that, he has to put his faith in a coming Redeemer. And he does that. By the way, in Job 19.25, Job says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last day he will stand upon the earth. Job is doing the exact same thing Abraham did and Noah did and all those people did. Now, here's the thing. Men like Job don't know what we know. Matthew 13, 17, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see and didn't see it. They long to hear what you hear and they didn't hear it. That, that's why these men are of such great faith. Can you imagine having faith in God and being saved and not having any Bible, not having any scripture, not having people around you to give testimonies about how God... Can you imagine? None of that stuff. And yet they just put their faith in God and they will not be moved. That's why the Bible calls them men of great faith. But the fact is they're saved the same way we are. They looked ahead and they believed that one day God would send a, a Redeemer. I've said this often because I hear this question sometimes, how are people in the Old Testament saved? They're saved the same way we are. The only difference is they looked ahead to what a Redeemer would do. We look back to see what a Redeemer has already done. They put their faith in the future Redeemer. We put our faith in a past Redeemer. 
We get to look back and we have the Bible and all this stuff that tells us what Jesus did for us. But it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's faith in a Redeemer. It's faith in what they knew at the time. Now, what I want you to see, I bring all that up because I want you to see something about Job. If Job has got this, what I'm trying to say is Job has got the same faith you and I do. Same faith. He's an Old Testament saint with New Testament faith. And I want to see, I want you to see how this faith works itself out in his life. Number one, I told you he does four things. I want you to see he mourns like a New Testament saint. First Thessalonians 4.13, Paul writes this to us. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep. And he's talking about those who are dead. That you, he's talking to believers, may not grieve as others who have no hope, like unbelievers. Paul is saying, when one of you dies, don't mourn like unbelievers, mourn like a believer. Job did exactly that, didn't he? He mourned like a believer. He didn't mourn like the pagans mourned. He's expressing the faith that's in his heart. He worships like a New Testament saint. This, this kind of lesson all started... I, I put a phrase, I was typing away, and I put down a phrase, uh, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And I thought to myself, where is that? Where, I know I've heard that. We've all heard it, right? Do you know where it is? There's a really, one of the coolest stories in the Bible. If any of y'all have never uh, rented the movie Jesus of Nazareth, rent that movie. Because one of the coolest scenes in that movie is, is this, is out of Luke 4. Jesus has just been tempted in the in the desert by the devil and he comes out and he and he's getting ready to start his ministry and the first thing he does he goes back to his hometown he goes back to Nazareth where he was was raised where he was born and at every sabbath they would all go to the local synagogue local church at that time and and men would stand up and they would be given a scroll and that at that time the bible was written on scrolls and they would they would undo the scroll and so Jesus, after he's been tempted by the devil, he comes back to Nazareth, he goes on the Sabbath into the synagogue, and it says, as is his custom, he stands up to read. And he's handed the scroll, which I think is, is, is pretty interesting, because he doesn't pick it. It's handed to him. Talk about providence of God. Somebody gives it to him. So he opens a scroll, and he turns to Isaiah 61. Of course, at that time, there's no chapters and verses. That's all added later. But he turns to this, and he says this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now in the gospel, it says he stops reading there, but those people all knew what this verse said. If you go on and read that, those verses, it says this, And the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now this is, and, and by the way, in the, in the movie, it's just the coolest scene. He lays the scroll down, and he says what? Y'all all know, right? Today, this is fulfilled. And that is like the, <laughs> just chill bumps just go down your arms, right? Of course, they wanted to kill him, you know? But that is just as, as dramatic as it gets. Here's what I want you to see. And again, it says, he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant. He said, today this is fulfilled. Now, here's what I want you to see. Job lives way before Isaiah. He lives way before Jesus. He'd never seen those words written down. He'd never seen this prophecy that we, I, they'll put on the garment of praise. Never seen any of that, yet he does it. 
That's just awesome to me. He doesn't need a scripture to tell him to do it. It's in his heart. It's just deep down inside of who he is. He doesn't need a Bible to say, this is what you ought to do. He just, it's almost like he just does it naturally because he is a, is a man of faith. He's an Old Testament saint, but he's full of New Testament faith. He values like a New Testament saint. Listen, Luke 12, 15, the words of Jesus. Take care and be on guard, your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. First Timothy, Paul writes and says, We brought nothing to the world, we can take nothing out of it. What did, what did Job say? Naked I came, naked I'm going. See, the fact is, he didn't know those scriptures. He didn't have, have them hanging on a picture. He hadn't done his daily devotion. and he didn't, he didn't have any of that, but yet it's in his heart. It's part of who he, who he is. See, he, again, his, his assessment there was, was spot on. The last thing he does is he stands like a New Testament faith, a New Testament saint. Ephesians 6.11, Paul writes this, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. And that word is sometimes, depending on tr- your translation, can be translated wiles or tricks or tactics or strategies of the devil. Okay? Now, I want to point something out. I brought this up earlier. I want to point it out here. The fight against Satan, we don't war against flesh and blood. We all know that scripture, right? Even when he's bringing physical suffering like he did to Job, that's not the battle. That's not the fight. The fight is always mental and emotional. That's the fight. It's it's always about your thoughts and about your, your feelings. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Well, what are these strongholds? They are arguments and opinions raised against the knowledge of God. And Paul says we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, there's the battle. When you're sitting there and and you're all by yourself, right, and them thoughts start coming. Those thoughts that Satan uses, they're raised against the knowledge of God. Their opinions, their arguments. Sometimes they can come from outside of ourselves. Sometimes they can come from, from within ourselves. But Paul says we are to take every thought, obedience, or captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen, Job did that. It doesn't give us a lot of details, but the fact that he stood and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord, says, I guarantee you, Satan, is, all these thoughts are pouring into him, all these questions about God and who he is and where is he at and why is this happening... He took every thought captive, and he said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The, the man, is, is he's got the very faith that we read about in the New Testament. It's all over him. It's all in him. See, Job makes his stand. He makes his stand against fear. He doesn't give in to panic. He, he makes his stand against an earthly mindset and, and keeps his mind on the eternal He makes his stand against unbelief and he doesn't question God. He makes a stand against despair and he sees the hand of God. He makes his stand against anger. He doesn't blame God. See, all these things are going on in his mind and he withstands them all. Now, unbeknownst to Job, he'd probably think, boy, this is bad, but at least it's over. Well, it's not over. In fact, the war has has just begun. Satan still has work to do. And, and that brings us to the second test. I want to, I want to, a couple of real quick things I want to hit on verse 3. I want to make sure we don't misunderstand them. One place in verse 3, 
if you'll read it there, it says, You incited me against him. Now, this almost sounds like God is saying, Satan, you made me do this. Well, that's not true. Satan doesn't make uh, God do anything. God does exactly what he wants to do. What, what God is doing here is he's laying the blame firmly at Satan's feet. See, Satan knows and God knows, they both know that God allowed Satan, gave him permission to do what he's done to Job. But God wants Satan to know, you're going to pay for this. This blame for this is right at your feet. Everything that's happening to him is one day it's going to, you're going to get called on it. So he's letting Satan know this is, this, is on, this is on you. The second thing he says, it says, You incited me against him without cause. Once again, and I'm going to bring this up, because you're going to need this as we go through the next two or three weeks. God is saying to him, to, to, to Satan and to us, he, he did not do anything wrong. Everything that's coming against him is not his fault, okay? He is an upright and blameless man, and we have to remember that as we, as we move forward. So Satan, basically, his argument was, man, if you take everything he's got, he'll curse your name. Well, that failed completely. In fact, say, uh, Job blessed God, not, not cursed him. So Satan says, man, i got to come up with something new. So he comes up with a new approach. Look at verses 4 and 5. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But you stretch out your hand and you touch his bone and you touch his flesh and he will curse you to your face. By the way, in ancient cultures, skin for skin was a, a bartering term. In other words, if you were going to train, uh, let's say, uh, exchange a, a cow for a goat, you would say skin for skin. In other words, one for the other, right? You're just, it's, it's, a, it's an even swap is what he's saying. What Satan is say, saying here, he's accusing Job, is, is listen, he'll keep his faith, he'll, he'll give you his kids. You can have all ten of his children, as long as he saves his own skin. In other words, he's perfectly willing to swap the lives of his children for his own life. That's what Satan is accusing him of. Maintain his own life and his own health, and, and, uh, and he's perfectly fine with giving you his kids. But touch him, and he'll, he'll curse you, okay? Now, Satan knows, and he's a pretty smart guy. He knows that physical pain weakens us like any, unlike anything else does. Um, I've never gone through this, but for those of you that have gone through things where you're physically weak, there's something about that that, that makes you weak. It what makes you weak uh, mentally. It makes you weak emotionally, and, and it weakens your faith. And Satan knows this, and so he says, okay, if I can get him sick, I, I, can, I can make him curse God. Verse 6, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. So God says, okay, you can do anything you want to him, but you cannot kill him. So again, he gives him permission, but it is limited permission. He can't do anything he wants to do. Verse 7 and 8. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his feet, or his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery, which wished to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Now, we don't know exactly what he had. Um, there's a lot of different guesses of whether it was leprosy or whether it was something else. But it was some type of, we do know it was some type of skin disease. He's got sores all over his body. From the, it says basically all the way from the sole of his feet to the top of his head. So there's not a place on his body where he does not have these sores. Now, it, you know, it says that, but it doesn't go into a lot of detail. But can you imagine? These are loathsome sores. And I want to give you some, some uh, things here. First of all, it says he got a piece of pottery. Now, why did he do that? Well, first of all, he's itching. 
he's got a scratch, right? And he can't use his fingers really very well because they got sores all over them. But the other thing, we know these sores are breaking out, and this is kind of gross, but they're leaking pus, and, and he's, he's got to dig that stuff out and break them open. And it's just a nasty, nasty thing that he's got. And I want to spend a little bit of time here to let you know how bad this was because you, I want you to understand how bad of a test it was. These are some things that it tells us. Job thirty seventeen, he says, My bones are pierced in me at night, and my gnawing pains take no rest. Even when he lays, tries... By the way, how do you sleep? There's no place to lay where you're not laying on these sores. And he says, My bones literally hurt at night. Job thirty thirty says, My skin grows black. That literally means his skin is dying. You ever seen anybody with frostbite? His skin is dying. It's growing black and falls off of him. Okay? Job 7, 5, my flesh is caked with worms. He's sitting there and he's literally digging maggots out of these sores. Maggots are infested. Flies are landing on him. Okay, he's out there in the middle of out there in a, in an ash heap. Flies are landing on him. They're laying eggs. They hatch into maggots. He's digging the maggots out. He's emaciated. Job 19, 20, my bone clings to my skin and to my flesh. He's got no appetite. He can't, he can't eat. Nothing sounds good, right? Um... He's running fever, Job 30, 30. He says, my bones burn with fever. He's depressed, Job 7, 16. I loathe my life. Job 30, 27. My heart is in turmoil and cannot rest. He's weeping, Job 16, 16. My face is flushed with, with weeping. He can't stop crying. And Job 7, 4. When I lie down, I say, when shall, the night ar- shall, arise, when shall I rise and the night be ended? Have you ever had insomnia? This guy cannot sleep. So if all this stuff's going on, he can't sleep. He's, he's like, man, when's the night going to be over and the day is going to be here? When he, when he does sleep, he has nightmares. Job seven fourteen. you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. His breath is, is putrid. He says in Job nineteen seventeen, my breath is offensive to my, to my wife. I mean, it's just, I mean, you can imagine, right? I mean, this guy's as bad as it possibly gets. And by the way, as far as we can tell, this condition lasts for months. Job 29.2, he says, Oh, that I were, I were as in months past. Not days, not weeks, but months. Job 7.3, I have been allotted months of futility. So this is not just a few days, and well, now he gets better. This, is, this goes on day after day, week after week, month after, after month. And he's sitting in ashes. Now, you may wonder... What, why is he sitting in ashes? Well, if you go back into these ancient cultures, the general idea of mourning, when you mourned before God, you, you, you basically, you, you hear this idea of sackcloth and ashes, right? So what people would do is they would take off their night, if they had nice clothes, they'd take them off. They'd take off any jewelry, anything that was, was kind of nice, and they would put sackcloth on, this itchy croaker sack stuff, Right? And, the, and then they would almost try to humiliate themselves. The idea is to show how humble that you, you are. And so sitting on a pile of ashes or putting ashes on your head, some of them would just take ashes and dump it on the head. The idea is to show humiliation. Still today, when um, uh, is it Lent that people go through and they, they put ashes on their, on their forehead, right? The idea is humiliation, to humble your, yourself. But it's also, by the way, it's been suggested that there might be a medical reason for this. In the ancient cultures, ashes, of course, is a drying agent. And they said sometimes they think they would put ashes on those sores, and the idea was to soak up the pus and soak up all the lit and kind of help dry them out. So 
It, it, it could be because of humility. It could be because of some kind of medical thing. We don't really know. But he's sitting out there on a pile of, 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 of ashes. Now, as I said earlier, I want you to remember, when you're going through something like this, I want you to remember that, that this, the pain, you can't sleep, the, just all this stuff is very discouraging spiritually. You might have made it through the first wave, but when all this stuff comes, there are days you're going to just think, I mean, it's hard. It is super tough. Because, listen, everybody will tell you, your physical, your mental, and your spiritual are all intertwined. Right? When you're feeling good physically, it's easy to feel good spiritually and mentally, right? You feel good bad mentally, uh, bad physically, it's going to be just kind of like your spiritual and mental. Woe is me. I feel, you know, you start feeling sorry. We all know that. We're, we're, like I said, we're not robots. We're human beings. And as a person deals with this kind of thing day after day, month after month, you're, you, you just have less strength, less mental strength, less physical strength, of course, and less uh, spiritual strength. And it becomes harder to think clearly, right? You're trying to remember scriptures, and I can't even remember. What does that say? You can't even remember this kind of stuff. Maintaining your faith in God is going to get more and more and more difficult. And you add that to the grief and the, the stuff that he was losing his children. I mean, I can't imagine this guy, anybody ever going through what this guy has, has gone through. Now, into this situation walks his wife. Okay? Now, let me tell you something, and I want to be really clear here. When we say Job's wife, almost everybody here has got bad thoughts about her. Right? Well, you know, wicked old woman. Curse God and die, right? But let me, let's stop here. I think she's gotten a bad rap. I want you to think about what she's been through. Okay? She has suffered right alongside of Job. She's lost all her possessions along with Job. Her future is, she looks out in the future and it was so bright and so great. Now she looks out and there's nothing. Everything's gone. And she's lost ten children. Those are her children. Not just Job's children, those are her children. And, and at the moment that she needs her husband, that they can physically comfort one another, she can't touch him. And think about that. The very moment she needs him more than anything, they can, can put their arms around each other and console one another. She can't touch him because he's, 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 he's the na- nastiest thing she's ever seen in her life. So... so you got to feel for her. Don't just look at her as some unfeeling. No, she's been through the same things that he has. And she simply just loses it. I mean, the, the stress, the everything she's gone through is just too much, and she loses it. In verse 9, And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? And I want to tell you, when she said that, and I'm, I'm, I don't often do this, but I, want you, I, I can just see this smile come across Satan's face. Uh-huh. Here we go. This is it. You know, all that other stuff didn't do it, but I, I put this sickness on him. Now the person closest to him in the world, the person that he needs to, to stand behind him and, and uphold him and pray for him and, and help him, that person has just told him, why don't you just curse God and die? And by the way, I, I don't think... Let's, let's, again, let's give her the, the, the benefit of the doubt. She might be, I mean, if we saw our spouse in that kind of pain and suffering, wouldn't death be a release? Wouldn't death be a, a, a blessing? 
She's just saying, just, just, it's okay, just die. But she just loses it. Of course, where she's wrong is where she says, of course, curse God. And I think a great smile came across Satan because he thought, here it is. This was the moment that, that I, I, we've been waiting for. And I can just imagine heaven just stops. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit, but I'm just imagine every angel in heaven stops. And everyone is looking down. Is, it, is he going to do it? Is he going to abandon his faith? Is he going to curse God? Is he going to turn away from God? They're watching to see what Job would do. Verse 10. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Now that word evil in the Hebrew language, y'all remember when we talked about Hebrew a while back in Genesis, that I don't remember all the the statistics, but Hebrew only has about 8,000 words. For example, French, I think, has 40-something thousand, if I remember correctly. Hebrew only has eight. That means there's a lot of words in, in, in Hebrew mean a lot of things. So the word here does mean evil, but it's also translated distress, misery, injury, sickness, calamity. It can mean a lot of different things. And that's what he's saying. Can, can, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive bad things? And then it says this, In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And I can just see the reaction in heaven. Yes. Yes, Job. Yes, thank you. Thank you for valuing God over your own health. Thank you for treasuring God over your own life and your own health. Thank you for holding on to God. And thank you for holding on to your integrity. And the smile disappears from Satan's face and he's gone. By the way... We've got 40 chapters to go. You will never hear of Satan one more time. You're going to hear a lot of people talking, a lot of people placing blame, a lot of people got ideas. Nobody ever even mentions him. He's over. He's a bit player. From this point on, it's all about Job, and it's all about God. Listen, I want to... A couple things. I meant to do this last week. I put my email and my phone number up here. And the reason I've done that is because I know sometimes as, as we go through some of these chapters and we talk about some of these things that you can have questions, right? And I want you to feel free. You can email me. You can, you can text me. You can call me. I can tell you if you call me and I don't know your number, I ain't going to answer, right? Because uh, y'all get those same calls, right? I get those calls all the time. But just leave me a message and then I'll add you to my contact list and the next time you call, I'll, I'll answer. But if you've got questions, please feel free. You know, don't you know? I'll, I'll, I can if I don't know the answer, I can send you some different places, some different websites that I trust, where people are talking about some things. But I, I you know, this is this isn't just a, shouldn't just be a Sunday morning thing. Hopefully, you guys walk out of here um, at this Sunday morning. And you think about these things all week. I'm hoping you do. You know, they're in your heart, they're on your mind. If questions arise, feel free. You can email me. Or, or text me, and I will be, um, I'll be glad to respond to those as soon as I can. Next week, the title of our lesson is The Battle Begins. Now, that's a, I name it that for a reason, because as I said, you would think he's lost all his wealth, he's lost his children, he's lost his health. The battle is ongoing. No, the battle has just started, because the battle is in the mind. The battle is right here. And, next, and as we turn next week to chapter 3, we're going to see uh, the battle uh, begin. Let's pray.